All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, last week, as we've been going through the book of Philippians, we talked about Paul's imprisonment. And he was in chains in Rome. And, and yet, Paul rejoiced because he had eyes to see that God was in his trouble and he was doing something good. The gospel was being proclaimed. What joy it brings to know that with certainty. But it's hard to believe. It's impossible unless we see, like Paul did, that our greatest joy comes from Christ being proclaimed, Christ being exalted, as we saw in the very last verse um, that we touched on last week, Philippians 1, verse 18. And now we're going to pick up today right where we left off. Paul is rejoicing in his present trial, but also even as he looks towards the future, even as he looked and he saw that he was going to be on trial and there was the possibility of execution, he still rejoiced. His, you see, his one aim in life was still the same. So he could face his uncertain future with joy. He could face his uncertain future with joy because he knew his purpose was to glorify Christ. We might sum it up this way. Where Christ is number one, there is joy. Where Christ is number one, there is joy. When Christ reigns in your heart, there joy dwells. Joy, even when faced with the possibility of death. I mean, it's very simple to say that, but it's profoundly difficult to take to heart. We must believe the Lord is whom He says He is, that He is good merciful, loving, even in life and the troubles of life and even in death. And so we're going to speak, uh, take, sorry, <laughs> we're going to speak, we're going to take some time considering Paul's testimony this morning. And how did he view his future how does this relate to our lives and our uncertain futures? So if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, and we're going to pick it up at the very end of verse 18. So we covered verse 18 last week, but it continues on. And so we remember Paul's great joy was that Christ is proclaimed. He says, in that I rejoice. And he continues, yes, and I will rejoice. Now, verse 19, 
I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. May we take these things to heart. Okay, so we talked last week about how Paul's been rejoicing in his present trouble and we see here, Paul continued rejoicing. He says, I will rejoice. And we read in verse 19 that Paul says, this will turn out for my deliverance. Well, that's a pretty bold statement, Paul. How do you know that? Well, you know, it's very interesting. We, we learn later in verses 20. 5 and 26, the end there, Paul is says he's convinced, he believes that God wanted him to remain in the flesh, not for his own sake, but for the growth and joy of the church. And so it would seem that Paul is speaking of this in verse 19. However, even as Paul spoke about such things, he spoke about being uh, believing that he would be released for the sake of the church, he does not speak with absolute certainty about his future here. And, and that's the bulk of the passage in verses 20 to 24. You know, whether by life or by death, I don't know. But he left the outcome of his life in God's hands really reminded me of a, a fellow in the Old Testament who had a similar attitude. Now, he had a lot of ups and downs when you read the book of Job. But um, he made a similar statement about being delivered in Job 13, 13 to 18. And it is there, Job is speaking to his friends who were not always the nicest friends. They pretty much just, they weren't very comforting, let's put it that way. But uh, he speaks to his friends and he 
speaks of standing before God and being saved or delivered. And yet, he goes on to say, even if he slays me, yet I will hope in him. And you can find that in, in Job 13, 13 to 18. And I want to encourage you to consider that and the hope that Job had, even as he, he didn't know, <laughs> he, he was in a lot of despair at that moment. But he could say, even if he slays me, yet I will hope in him. Job's hope went beyond even life itself. Not just deliverance from death, but through death. Like Job, Paul's hope goes beyond mere circumstances. His hope is in the Lord. He knew that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He knew that Jesus' death and resurrection, through that we are more than conquerors. And that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, neither life nor death nor anything else in all creation. Paul wrote those words in Romans 8. Such a deliverance is sure and complete. If we trust in Christ alone, we're not promised a life without suffering. Roy shared about that. That's a, something that we all wish we liked. We, we want to believe that lie that pain and trouble and, and hardship is we don't like it. We don't see the good in it. But we're not promised deliverance from it. And it's even through suffering, even through death, that we are made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing because of the work of Christ. But if you trust in Christ, you are promised deliverance from the power of sin and death. You will stand before God one day forgiven because of Christ. What a great reason for joy that goes far beyond our present circumstances or the possibilities, the endless possibilities of what may go wrong in our lives, we can trust in a good and sovereign God and rest in the deliverance that Christ brings. So Paul says uh, he is sure that he, he will, he's going to be delivered. And he goes on to say, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, this is verse 20, 
With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Hope that goes beyond the grave. Paul's eager expectation, his strong, sure hope. These are really deep words. This is his his anchor in life. And what does he say? He says that he would not be at all ashamed. This too brings us to the work of Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected so that we would not need to be ashamed. And even when faced with the shame and the rejection of the world, rejected as Christ was rejected, we can hope in in the fact that we will stand unashamed in the presence of God because of His great love for us, demonstrated in going to the cross. He took our shame. The great prophecy in Isaiah 53, which speaks of the Messiah's suffering for the sake of his people says he was wounded because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. But I want you to think about what it goes on to say in chapter 54. In verses 4 and 5, the prophet Isaiah says, Don't be afraid. For you will not be put to shame. Don't be intimidated, for you will not be humiliated. You will forget about the shame you experienced in your youth. You will no longer remember the disgrace of your abandonment. Why? How can you say that, Isaiah? For your husband is the one who made you. The Lord who commands armies is his name. He is your protector, the Holy One of Israel. He is called God of the entire earth. This is the reason that we do not need to fear being put to shame. Though we are totally unworthy in Christ, we will not be put to shame on the day of judgment. For we have our maker as our husband, protector, the one who's the God of the entire earth, says you don't need to be ashamed because my son died for you. He took your shame. Follower of Christ is forgiven, free. And as it says in Hebrews 7:25, Christ is able to save to the uttermost. Christ has done it all. 
This is why Paul could say with confidence, he was certain, with full courage, he could say this, that Christ would be exalted whether he lived or died. He was certain not because of his own ability, but because of the work of Christ and the Spirit of Christ who was his strength. And Paul is so sure that he's able to say this truth. He says, to me, very personalized, this is what he believed. He knew, he trusted in the word of God. He said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was resigned to the will of God, trusting in both life and death, God is in control. How could he say this? He could say this because to die was to be with his Lord and Savior. And to live was to live with the power and presence of Christ. As Paul says in the book of Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live is to live knowing Christ, to live in his strength, to live knowing his love for us. And to die is gain, for it is to be with the Lord. Those are two pretty good things. When we look at life from that perspective, the truth, what joy it brings. Do, do you believe that? When Christ is number one, we have joy because our life and death is in his hands. He is the strong one, the deliverer. You know, I can't really read this passage without thinking of another one. Paul also wrote 2 Corinthians in prison. And um, in verses, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, he says, So whether we are at home in our bodies or away from our bodies, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now I remember reading this verse and I thought about sports teams. You know, they got home and, and away. Um, only a sports team's goal is to win, whether at home or away. And I think probably that's more in line with my goal a lot of the times. I like to win or something like that. But the goal, the purpose of those who follow Jesus, Paul says, is to please him. To please him, whether pounding nails typing on a computer, washing the dishes, doing school, or 
facing the final hours of one's life. Paul's confidence was in his Savior, whatever might happen. His delight was to please his Lord, not because life was easy or that the future looked bright and happy, but because he was confident in the goodness and mercy of his deliverer. That is how he's able to view life and death as through the lens of of Jesus Christ. Even death is gain when we have the Lord. But Paul was a human being. He was just like us, torn between life and death. And, you know, what is the best in this given situation? What did the Lord have for him? His future was uncertain. The trial of his, the outcome of his trial was unclear. I think we all know what that is like on some level or another. And so in verses 22 to 26, we have a window into Paul's thoughts on about his situation. And we see it, he's shaped by his previous, what he's just said previously. Christ will be exalted whether by my life or my death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This becomes the lens through which he looks at his future. So I want to read verses 22 to 26 just to refresh our minds. If I am to live in the flesh, verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's faced here with two desires he longs to be with the Lord, as he said also in, in 2 Corinthians 5, you know, I want to be with Christ. But yet, he sees that there is also much fruitful labor if he remained alive. Perhaps you can already see a little bit where our view of the future may be a little bit off. Paul viewed death as far better because he wanted to be with the Lord. And some of us, we may say, okay, I, I, I'm saved, I know that, and we, we don't fear death in one sense, but how many of us think about 
wouldn't it be amazing if, if I died today? You know? When we realize that to die is to be with the Lord, death is it's just a defeated enemy. And the opportunity to see Christ face to face is the greatest of all joys to look forward to. Paul, he longed to be with the Lord. Now, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, take me now. I just want to die. And all he's thinking about is dying. That's not it at all. But he does see the truth about death for the Christian is that it is only a door into life with Christ face to face. The joy, the benefit of being away from the body for a little while until Christ returns and we shall all be resurrected with Him that joy is far better than all the little temporary joys that we appreciate in our day-to-day lives. So it's important that Paul saw death um, according to the way that even Christ did. He did it. He died. He suffered for the joy set before him. We think of the joy set before us in death. So he doesn't say, Lord, take me now. He also considers not only heaven, not only being with Christ, but he he considers others. He considers the church and he cares about them and How could we as followers of Christ commanded to love one another think only of I'm going to get to be with the Lord death, 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 you know, here it comes. Paul isn't like that. He he is concerned. He's thinking about his fellow believers. He says, but to remain is more necessary on your account. And he actually concludes, he says, I'm convinced of this, that I will remain. Paul doesn't say, thus says the Lord here, I know I have received a revelation from the Lord that I will live. He doesn't speak of certainties, but he speaks of what he believed God desired him to do. His conviction was that he would live for the sake of the Philippian believers' progress and joy. Paul knew God's heart for the believers. And he knew that his purpose in life was to please God in life for as long as God had for him. As we saw earlier, he trusted the Lord also that he would please him in his death should the Lord choose to take him from this life.
So Paul was torn between the great joy of going to be with the Lord and of pleasing him here in this life. And in some ways, you could look at his outlook and he's thinking death would be far better. But he leaves the outcome in the Lord's hands and he trusts the Lord as a purpose for his life for as long as he has for him. You know, in the, in the same way, we too can say, you know, I believe God desires for me to do such and such. That he has this plan for my life. If the Lord wills. This is what James, the apostle, said. We make plans that we submit them to the Lord's will. Because we know that no matter what God does, no matter what he allows, that he has a purpose. And, and as Roy mentioned earlier, James begins his letter, Count it all joy in various trials. Where their testing produces perseverance, perseverance. I'm getting the quote wrong, but you can read James 1 for yourself if you'd like. point is that the joyful heart is not attached to one's plans, but the one willing to give them into the hands of a good and faithful God. And it's easy to say, I want to please God. I want God to be exalted in my life and in my death. But how but uh, in what ways can you say that is the goal of your life? When you look at your life, your situation, your responses, your thinking, do you look at things God's way? Do you trust what He has to say about the future? How do you think about the future? Do you typically worry and fret? Do you hang tight-fisted to your idea of what God's good plan should look like? Such thoughts and attitudes don't reflect that Christ is number one. It's believing the lie. God is not good. His plan or His idea of the future is not my idea, and I like my, my idea better. But not only do they not reflect Christ as number one, I want you also to realize that those thoughts, those beliefs, don't flood our hearts full of joy, do they? They destroy our peace. The heart that trusts in Christ, that longs to exalt Christ, may become downcast and confused and conflicted and weary, but will always run to the strong shelter that is Jesus' heart of love. A love that was demonstrated by a back beaten to a pulp, a head 
crowned with shame, wrist that held the weight of sin upon a cross, the side that was pierced for our rebellion, and a heart that beat its last so that those who believe in him might be saved and might have a hope that lasts beyond the grave because we know that the love of God was not contained in death, but Christ arose. To know, to truly know this, God's love demonstrated toward us while we were yet sinners. To know this is to rejoice, regardless of the future. Because we know He took our shame. He took our guilt. He paid the price so that we might live. I closed last week by impressing on you. I can't convince you of these things. I can't convince you in your present and in your future that God is working, that he is good, that his heart is a heart of love for you. But the gospel is what compels us to know that this is true. Christ on the cross. Christ risen from the grave is what demonstrates that this is so. It's not in the abstract any longer. Jesus became flesh and blood for that very purpose. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Only a fool would not see the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I confess as a professing Christian, I know I've played the fool at times. But Christ is infinitely worthy for all that He has done. He is infinitely trustworthy also. Book of Hebrews says that he is a high priest through whom we can enter into the heavens itself and that Christ himself intercedes for us. There is no loss with Christ. Jesus meant what he said when he told the disciples, he who seeks to save his life will what? Can you say lose it? But the one who loses his life for my sake will, will find it or keep it. To live is to have this opportunity, this glorious opportunity to honor Jesus who gave his all for us. And to die is the greatest gain of all. For then we shall see Christ and know the fullness of his embrace. In this we can rejoice. 
We, we all face uncertain futures in different ways. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the next minute brings. Maybe a plane's going to come crashing down. I don't know. Probably not. But there is one hope in life and death, and that's Jesus Christ. And where Jesus Christ is number one, where we look at the future through the lens of what God tells us, there is joy. 